0: talk about how Jesus saw people and hopefully that will influence how we see people those of us who would follow him i know not everybody necessarily is at a place where we might say we've really actually even accepted christ yet we may or we may have we may have just started in our journey we've just begun as a follower of the lord some of us have been maybe have been following him for now a number of years one of the things we realize wherever we may be in this process of coming to jesus growing in christ is that it really, when we sign on with the Lord, it's a a life of adventure in Him. And uh, it's meant to be something that is real and passionate and uh, anything but boring. And so when I look at Jesus, one thing we can say about Him is He wasn't boring. And when He interacts with people, there's always so much to learn. And so I want us to look at this together. We're going to look at a piece of Scripture out of the book of Matthew. It's one of my favorite stories to visit. There's so many directions you can go with it. Uh, many of us know, I think, that Matthew is the disciple who is the one who the first book of the New Testament is named after. Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. But it starts with Matthew. Matthew's, who was Matthew? What, did, what was he doing before he became one of Jesus' disciples? Was he groomed to be a disciple, an apostle? No. He actually had been someone who had a completely different occupation he would have been one of the most unlikely candidates to ever become, as was the case probably with a lot of the original disciples, a cornerstone of Christ's um, team. And yet Matthew becomes that. Matthew was, by trade, by occupation, his career, was a task collector. Task collector meant different things, um, you know, maybe to them than it does to us. When we think of a task collector, you know, somebody who works for the IRS, but Matthew did not work for a task-collecting agency for, that was connected to his own government. He worked for a task-collecting agency that worked for a foreign power named Rome. So in many ways, Matthew was working almost like a traitor to his own people. And so this is something that serves as a backdrop. We see this in verse number 9. We read this. Let's just read this together. Matthew 9, verse 9. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew who was sitting at the tax... Office. And he said to him, Follow me. And so he arose and he followed him. Now, that's when it comes to ultimately, we almost decide if we're going to follow Jesus. It's an invitation he makes to every one of us. But Matthew was sitting at the tax office. He was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. Now, it's important for me to also say this you almost couldn't have a more hated occupation than the one Matthew had. I mean, tax collectors. You, when you read about them, they come up a lot in the scriptures, and they're always grouped in like this phrase, and it goes together. It says, Task collectors and sinners. Task collectors <laughs> and sinners. And that's because they were all, in that context, sinners meant for them the, the, the really bad people of society, right? The notoriously um, bad people, the criminal element. Uh, and and it meant a lot of things to a lot of people, but it's just fascinating. Every time you, it's always tax collectors <laughs> and the sin. so in other words, they really were just just despised. Is the point? And, they, and there was justification for it because not only had they been a traitor to their own people, as it were, working for Rome. This was a huge issue of the day. In fact, they tried to bring Jesus into the argument, saying, "Should we pay taxes? Should we not pay taxes? You know, what do you say?" He said, "Render it to Caesar what is Caesar." This isn't. He doesn't get drawn into the political fight. But it was always on their mind, the despised Romans. Yes, we have some degree of liberty, but they make us pay. We pay Rome. It's wrong. And, And here's the deal. The tax collectors, not only did they collect money for Rome, but they figured that they would also probably be better off collecting a little bit more for themselves. And so it was just understood that graft was built into the system. So that the, the, the mentality being, look, if you're a tax collector, you're going, I'm already hated by everybody. I might as well be hated and wealthy if I'm going to be hated. And so they, they, took, they, they took more money than they were supposed to all the time. People just knew it. It was like an added tax. And people hated it, and they hated them. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that one of these hated, despised ones Becomes a follower of Jesus and not just, he he becomes a founding member of the Jesus team, if you will. I mean, it's amazing. He has a career shift. Jesus says, Come and follow me. Matthew decides he'll follow him. Now, when we read Matthew's account, because he's writing his own account, it's so brief, it's so uh, just, you know, almost staccato, one liners. He said, Follow. I said, Yes. He followed. It's just real short. There had to be a lot of stuff going on between that as well. I mean, clearly, this was a culmination. He had heard Jesus talking before. This was a moment that marked the beginning point where Matthew finally decides, I'm making the move. And when Jesus offers him an opportunity, he takes it. He makes a career change. In his case, following Jesus meant leaving his old life behind completely, including his career. And so it was a significant thing that occurs. Maybe if someone, Matthew, had always maybe wanted, we read about the dinner that takes place at his house. Mark tells us about this dinner. celebration because Matthew decides he is going to have a celebration to mark this career shift and he is going to try to bring together two groups of people one who he is just beginning to understand and be a part of these followers of Jesus Jesus and his disciples which he is now signing on with and his friends his colleagues his associates the people he's built his life with socially these are again task collectors didn't have a lot of friends But they they were friends with one another. And so Matthew's thinking, I want to get my friends to have a chance to meet Jesus. So I'm going to use this opportunity where I'm marking my new beginning and I'm leaving my job, as it were, and I'm starting on a new path. And, And again, someone like Matthew typically would have thought of himself as being outside of being able to ever be used by God. But Jesus had made it clear that there was room for him, too. And so he joined. And he decides, I'm going to have a dinner. I'm going to have a celebration. I'm going to have... Um, this gathering where I will introduce the people I care about and Jesus, and let's see how it goes. And so look what we read. We read here in verse 10. It says, Now it happened that as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many task collectors, and there it is, task collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. This is really a mixture of people, different types of people, elements that wouldn't have commonly mixed. Here's the deal, right? I mean, in Matthew's case, he's probably thinking, but I don't know how this is all going to go. I'm, I, I'm kind of excited about it, though, because I want them to meet him. And so there's this whole exchange. It sets up this. What Matthew doesn't realize is he sets up one of the great conversations of Jesus. His invitation to his friends to come over and celebrate this going away career shift dinner is an occasion for Jesus to have an exchange that is going to inform us so much about how he sees human beings and how we are to see them as well, other people. Look what happens. It says that, behold, there were many of those who had come, task collectors, sinners, came, and they sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, and the Pharisees were the religious part, one of the religious parties of Jesus' day. They were very committed to um, the scriptures. They were very committed to a very rigorous uh, obedience of, of God's laws, and they had a degree of admiration at this time for Jesus. Uh, Jesus was sharing things also that intrigued them, uh, compelled them to also sometimes get upset, but sometimes to look within. And so there, there is this perception that Jesus is a holy man. And yet, it says that as they, evidently the word had gotten out, Jesus is going is to go and meet with the tax collectors and the, and the, and the sinners. Do you see who he's, what he's doing? And, and evidently the Pharisees pulled the disciples aside and they began to have a question session with them. They said, hey, what's going on? What's going on with your, your master? What's going on with the teacher? Why is your teacher eating with these kinds of people? Why is he engaging them like this? Surely he knows the words of, the, of God. He understands them. He is he is we've heard him teach them. How can you justify what he's doing right now? Now we might we're tempted to say, "Oh, those narrow-minded, you know, bigots, they're Pharisees. They just, you know, they don't have any love for be-. Let me tell you something. Their question actually, if you can stop for a moment and appreciate from their perspective, was a valid one. They were they, were, they had trained themselves in the words of God of the Old Testament. They had that, that was something that they knew and understood. They, they lived in that world. And one of the things that is a constant theme in the scriptures that Jesus himself would have known was that a person's company did affect how they lived their lives. And there was a constant discussions and warnings about being careful about how we build our relationships. The idea being that some relationships can be very toxic and lead one away from God. And in fact, for an example, how the very first psalm start that very first, the beginning psalm. It starts out. It says, "Blessed is the man." Think about it, happy is the man. Blessed of God is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of those who scorn or mock the ways of God. No, the blessed man is this. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in the season. His leaf also will not wither. Whatever he does is going to prosper. He's going to have good success. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chap that's driven away by the wind. He He talks about it in this very first psalm. You hear the theme loud and clear. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. They ask the question, What is going on with your Jesus? Why is he doing this? That wasn't the only place it said it. Jesus hears their discussion. And whether he walks over to them and says what he's about to say, or whether he's from across the room and says what he says, let's look at it because it's pretty impressive. He says this. It says, when the Pharisees saw it, says, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, verse 12, he said, listen to me. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Surely you understand sick people need a doctor. He's implying something very clearly to them, isn't he? You don't get it. I'm a physician. I go where the hurting are. That's what I'm about. A doctor doesn't just go where the people don't need him, go. uh, uh, He goes to where the ones who are sick and hurting are. That's what I do. That's what they do, and that's what I do. I go to where they are. That's my heart. That's where I'm supposed to be. Don't you see? But he didn't stop there. He goes on to say this, and then he added to them, because I know your issue. Your issue is the scripture, but you need to also read what the scripture says as well, because the scripture also says this, and you need to go and you need to learn it. He didn't say, go and think about it and consider it. He said, go and learn this. Go and learn this. What does he say? He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Yes, it's true. The scripture warns us about who we're with. But the scripture has an even higher principle. And that higher principle is this. You are to have mercy to people. And and it's pretty powerful. Because what does he mean, show mercy? He means that you are to have a kindness that is born out of compassion that chooses to withhold judgment, a a kindness that's born out of compassion that chooses to withhold judgment. And he says, and by the way, if I may point out, that mercy is at times, God has told us very clearly, even more important than the sacrifices you offer or the meticulous way in which you approach worship. If you do not have mercy on people, if the love that you have for God and the precision of the way in which you seek to honor him does not show up, in a merciful heart towards other people, then we have an even bigger problem. That's what he was saying. You are really getting stuck on something that is telling me that you are missing the larger heart of God, my friends. And then Jesus goes on to say this next statement. He says this, For I have come, and I will tell you this now, I have come to call not those who think. Emphasis. Think. They are righteous, but I have called those who know they are sinners. Not think they are righteous, my friends, but know they are sinners. Because you know why? It's impossible. Until the disease, the ailment, the, the need is recognized, you can't treat it. Unless someone first says, I need help, we can't get anywhere. Jesus is saying it's the beginning point. You can almost put it this way, that Jesus is saying, and I'm going to use our vernacular, it's better to be messed up and know it (laughs) than to think we're not when we really are. And Jesus is saying, if you know it, that's why, think about this, what Jesus will say later on, and he'll shock everybody, he'll say, blessed are you if you're broken in spirit, blessed are you who are poor. I mean, he starts talking like this. What is he saying? Because you're open and the kingdom is coming and it's got your name all over it. But to those who think they have no need and are missing the heart of God, I can't help you because you're not there yet. Power, that's powerful. That's so powerful. And you know what? It's a reminder of certain truths. Now, what I would like us to do, because what well, my hope is, that all of us will be open to being difference makers for God in the world in which we live. That our friends, just like Matthew's friends, would be exposed to Jesus through our lives in some way. So let me put some things up and let's get, kind of move with this a little bit. Let me suggest that when it comes to following Jesus, let me just start with this, kind of just put it up there. We are to, we are really to meet people where they are. Think about this for a moment. We're to meet people where they are, because you know, that's what Jesus did. I mean, he, he sought to connect with people at their, at their level, didn't he? I mean, he was, he was exceptionally adaptable. We might say that Jesus had this enormous bandwidth of adaptability. You study the life of Christ, one of the things that is absolutely impressive, and again, it's a model, is the way in which he was able to connect with people at really different spectrums of life. I mean, on the one hand, for example, you go to the book of John, and John 3, where, is, where that exchange occurs with Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel, who was is a member of the Sanhedrin, who's having this secret discussion with Jesus, and Jesus is talking to him. That's when he, remember we talked about, it was in the course of that conversation where Nicodemus asked, well, you know, what are you talking about being born again? And Jesus talks about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him should not perish but have life everlasting because God did not send his son into this world to condemn it but that the world through him might have life. That's the discussion. He's having this with this intellectual, uh, spiritually uh, well-versed religious man and they're just interacting. Then the very next chapter, chapter 4 of John, Jesus is sitting by a well. His disciples have gone into town and he has this discussion when he's on his way, um, you know, to... I guess in through Samaria, he stops at a well, and he meets this woman we know her as, the Samaritan woman. The very, so he starts talking with her, and before long, they're in this discussion. And he, they get, the discussion gets into relationships. And before long, Jesus is saying, well, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't. You've had five, and the person you're with right now is not your husband. But he didn't say it to hurt her he said it to her that she would know that God knows what you, God knows all about you. But he has something to offer you today. It's, it's something you've been looking for, if I may just take a brief, in, in, her, in men and never finding. God has it for you. You, know, you can find it one thing to the next. This is an amazingly gifted woman, but my point, my bigger point, so different person, he was connecting with her. He, he, she says to him, what are you doing talking to me? Not only am I a woman, which just makes this inappropriate in their culture, but I'm a Samaritan. We don't, you Jews and Samaritans, don't, we don't talk. Jesus says, we're talking now, basically, and I know all about you. I want to offer you something. It's going to change your life forever. It's this amazing account. Then you go to John 5. Jesus is meeting with this man who's been infirm for sickly for a number of years, and he helps him be healed. I mean, it's just be, so intellectual, Samaritan outsider, um, hurting person. I mean, he's just everywhere. He's all over. He's connecting. You know what he does? He models what it is to, to really meet people where they are. And, he, and I know not all of us have the same bandwidth. Some of us have, we're better. I get it, look. The, the point. I know a lot of us connect like Matthew. He had his best connections probably were with his peers, and some of us, the best way in which we're going to connect with people that we're kind of we know better. But you know what? Every now and then, God's going to shake our world, and He's going to bring us into a conversation with people who aren't really anything like us, and we get a chance to operate out of a whole different kind of compassion base and a love base and a learning base. We get to be expanded. We get to be challenged about what it means to be adaptable and trust God with our story, even though we don't really know if we have anything in common with this person. It's about what God can do. Anyway, the point I'm making is this. Paul had something to say about this as well. And I wanted you to look at this piece because it's an absolutely magnificent passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, normally I would read this out of uh, one of the the older, more precise versions. You know, we, we often talk about how, some of you are aware of this, there are different versions of Scripture. Some are probably more uh, precise than others. In fact, I'm sure there are. And, um, you know, whether it's an NKJV version or an NIV version and even the NLT, compared to the message translation, which is a far more of a paraphrase version of Scripture. I'll tell you why I sometimes use the message. Sometimes the message translation has a way of capturing the essence of something. I've often told some people who have no familiarity or comfort with reading the Bible, check out this, this message translation. I think you might find it different and refreshing and a nice introduction. But when it gets to this piece here in 1 Corinthians, it's awesome. Let me read it. Let's read it together. Again, thinking about what it means about, about meeting people where they are. And this is the, these are the words of Paul. Listen, really listen for a moment to them. He says this. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious people, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose-living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered into their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I, I did all this because of the message. And I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. That's good. That's really good. Because you know what Paul is basically saying right here? He's, he's getting into it. He's basically saying, look, I have sought, and I love this phrase, I entered their world, and I tried to experience it from their point of view. Paul says, like Jesus, I sought to understand where people were coming from. I didn't come as an imposer with, my, with pride. I came humbly as a servant to understand. My first move was to understand. That's, that's a profound uh, piece of understanding and when it comes to shining his light and sharing him with others. Paul says, I came to hear their heart, to understand their view. So he sought to understand and then to adapt. But it's important that in seeking to understand, he also makes it clear there was something he didn't do. And that leads me to the second piece. Because it's important that as we follow Jesus and try to connect with people and try to reach out in mercy, that in our desire to reach out in mercy, Listen, we must not use that as an excuse to conform to dominant culture. Paul says very clearly, one of the key phrases, while I have attempted to serve everyone around me and to adapt to their point of view to understand it, I have made it absolutely important as well to keep my, what is the phrase he says? To keep my bearings in Christ. Very important. He essentially is, think about Jesus. Okay, Jesus... He did not enter into uh, things just cavalierly, carelessly. Uh, you know, they could accuse him justly, justly of hanging out with the wrong kind of people. Yes, you, you can say that. But what you couldn't say, and they would have said it if they could have, was that he lived a mor- an immoral, hypocritical life that violated the very scriptures he said that we were supposed to follow. He didn't do that. They couldn't play that card on him because there was a moral consistency to Christ. There was an, there was at the si- same time that he would meet people where they were and seek to engage them in a non non-jud- really non judgmental way in which he sought to understand and love them as Paul said. That's what I try to do. Uh, he says at the same time Jesus never ever compromised his own in- in- integrity and identity as a son of God. I mean, he was he sets the marker straight. Look. The Bible says in John 1, speaking of the word become flesh, that we beheld him, Jesus, as of the only begotten of the Father. Listen, full of grace, there's the mercy component, and truth. There was congruity to the life of Christ. It was exceptionally merciful and graceful to other people. At the same time, there was was an absolute stunning alignment at work in him. Paul gets it. Paul says, listen, I've kept, as I've sought to meet people where they are, and I've been willing to be as adaptive as possible. My, my it's a bandwidth is wide. As I've sought to do that, I have made, made a commitment never to lose my identity and my bearings as a follower of Christ. I live by his words. And that is a great tension, isn't it? Because, because here's the deal. Jesus didn't say, um, you know, hey, when in Rome, do as the Romans. When in Vegas, right, do as the Vegasans or the vegans or I don't know how we we say it. He he didn't say, you know what, go engage and then disappear. Become a chameleon. So there's no distinction whatsoever. He never said that. He didn't model that. Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, look, we got to come humbly. We have to have humility. But it needs to be humility that's born out of a life that's congruous. And a line that's contending to be honorable before God that is challenging itself, not giving itself an easy out. Because, well, that's what everybody else is doing. No, we follow Christ. There's a different path. That's what he's saying. Honor the Lord. Live with grace. Live committed to truth. You see the point? It's not, it's not like we, some, you know, sometimes it's, it's so easy. Well, you know, I just want to understand. I just want to adapt. And then all of a sudden, I'm no longer keeping my bearings in Christ. I've just, I've just disappeared as a follower of Jesus. Nobody knows it. Nobody would know it. People gotta know. Paul said, "Don't do that. Don't do that. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Love people where they are. Seek to understand, but remember who you are." Thirdly, comes right back. Our faith, and that's going to challenge us, and that's what this means. Our faith needs to be more than safe, even cerebral. And private, it's got to it, be more than that. It's got to come into a place of activity. It's got to go public. It's got to get, if I may add a couple more words, risky and, yeah, even messy sometimes. It's not the safe play. There are times where God is going to be very clear. You can feel it in your soul. Speak up. Do not deny me. Do not conform. Do not go along. Yes, love people where they are. Do not come down in any other way. But at the same time, there are times where we need to say, I'm going to step this up. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to represent his heart. I'm going to let it be known that I love him. And some of us, this this summer is all about that. It's all about saying, will I be courageous enough in some way or shape or form to let it be known that I love him? And he's changed my life. Because if people who love him and claim to love him never talk about him, they were Our world, our people, our world will never know about him. It's huge. It's a big deal. Let's not be content to just sit on the sidelines. Let us, uh, oh man, I, it's like Paul says, I don't want to just talk about it. What does he say? I want to be in on it. I want to be in on it because he's moving all around. God's got stuff happening everywhere. He's got the appointments set up. Conversations are waiting to happen. He's already set it up. He's waiting for his people to get ready, to move along, to be open. You know, when my, when I, was, when I was a young Christian, really young. And my grandfather was an older you know, pastor at the time. And we, we just, our lives had a little brief time of interaction, changed my life completely. But one of the things I remember, I was just beginning to follow Jesus, really trying to honestly do it with sincerity. And I was having a hard time. I was in high school. I was having a hard time, and I started complaining. I kind of said, You know, this is really hard. And I feel like I'm giving up a lot. And, I, you know, I don't know. God was not. Was kind of, I was kind of saying, was, I'm not sure God's coming through for me. I don't know if was, and you know what? He told me, I was thinking, he, Well, I, I should have known better. I was thinking, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, it'll all work. You know, he looked at me and he said, Listen, he says, If you're going to do this, then do it. Basically, quit whining. (laughs) Quit whining. And if you're going to go, if you're going to serve him, serve him. Don't cut the deal. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't hang out on the sideline. Don't go halfway. Don't be content to dabble. Go. Go. Do it. And at the end of the day, we get to decide. You know, some of us, this is a, God is calling us to take this more seriously to get involved, to get connected, to, to train with other people. We get training in other areas. Same thing spiritually speaking. We've got to have to get together with other people who are training to grow. God calls us to a growing life. This is a great life in God. This is a life that is meant to just flow over and touch other people, but it's got to start by a decision that we make to not simply hold it to myself and kind of keep it contained. It means that I'm going to have to risk every now and then. Even he you say, well, I don't have my act together. Um, we, t- we talked about this last week. He uses incomplete people to do his work. It's about are we moving forward? Are we trying to get better? Are we growing? Are we getting connected with others who are moving forward? We're going to struggle. That's part of the deal. I do as well. You never stop. It's, it's, a, it's a life. I've never seen any growth that doesn't have any challenge attached to it. It's always going to cost us something. It's worth it. Last thing I'll say around this piece is that as followers of Jesus, I guess part of what it comes down to is we're going to have to be contagious. If we're going to be contagious, we're going to have to have a contagious joy. And we need it. We need to have our, I looked, I go, man, Lord, um, you know, without joy, i never seen too many people who said, um, they were they were drawn to Christ because somebody was depressed, angry, and bitter. Oh, yeah, I want what you have. Let me just say, it was not said of Jesus. There he is. The dour Nazarene. Wherever he goes, the cloud goes. I just, I just... Whenever I'm around him, I feel, I feel crushed. I feel awful. I, <laughs> that they, they didn't, you know what they said? There he is, a happy man. When God came, he came with joy. He showed us. That's huge. That's huge. It, you know, look, I put this in your handout. This is the last quote. It's the only quote. It's also the last quote, but look at it with me. The best argument for Christianity, this is great, from Sheldon Van Oken. The best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. It is. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self righteous and smug, in complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity ties a thousand deaths. But when there's joy in a life, it lives a thousand lives. It touches other people. It makes a difference. And, I'm, and you know what? God calls us to live the joyful life. It doesn't mean everything's going to be going our way. It doesn't mean we're not going to have any problems. But it means at some level, our life is different because of the reality of Jesus and who he is and the hope that we share in him. I'm telling you, it's a big deal. Now, one thing, I'll, I'll say this, and, and I, I know I run the risk of, of lengthening this out, but I need to say this because I was thinking about it last night. It's one thing to say, we need to be joyful. But I thought, Lord, you know, maybe I need to also say one small piece attached to it. Because maybe some of us may not say, well, I don't feel, I don't know if I feel that way. How can I share what I am not? Well, if we find ourselves in a place where there's kind of a joylessness attached to us, let me just, and these are just, I mean, this is real quick. Let me just say this. Number, just get next to the joyful one. That's who he is. You know what the Bible t- says? about the presence of the Lord, in his presence is fullness of joy. Sometimes it's just about getting refreshed with our relationship with the Lord. I got to spend more time with him. I get to. Again, I go back to one of my things my grandfather said to me. Um, I said, well, I got to go to prayer. He says, no, you don't. You get to. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot. Yes, I get to. My relationship with you, Lord. It's a gift. Not an obligation. They made it rules. Jesus says, You missed the heart of God. You got your rules down, but you missed the heart, the joy, the mercy, the compassion. It's there too, you know. Spend time with a joyful one. Get, some of us, this is gonna sound simple. I don't, I need to say it anyway. Some of us will say, Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Some of us will go, oh, That helps me. Get next to some people who, when we're in a bad place or a tough place, discouraged place, get next to some joyful people. Get, get, some of us, listen. We need to be around people who are optimistic every now and then, who can say it's going to be okay, God's with us. And, and you know what? Sometimes the, we, we find ourselves in places we want to close down, say, you know what, push out a little bit and, and be around those who have a joy for life, a love for God, um, who are see, seeing things in a positive way. Don't get around a lot of complaining and gossip and just uh, critical spirit. Yeah, it's no good. It's just not good. It's like, get out of my system, Lord. Thirdly, really choose to be uh, filled with gratitude. Um, you know, uh, okay, my wife and I were talking about this this week, believe it or not, we celebrate our 27th anniversary. We're going to be celebrating it coming up. And that's a great, that's a great you know. <laughs> okay. I, that's the Lord, I really mean that. Um, we, both, we both came from broken homes. So our families never lasted this long. Not even close. And we both looked at each other and said, "If it wasn't for the Lord, ours wouldn't have made it either." Because you keep. what my my point for saying this was that if you ch- focus on the flaw of anything, you rob it of its capacity to bless you. And it's amazing. Uh, one of the real joy killers in life is to just focus on what's wrong, what's not. What we, we begin we miss the blessing of what that person was meant to be for us. We start fixating on things that aren't working right, what they should be doing. Why aren't they? You see what I'm saying? And instead of saying, Lord, I thank you for this in my life, I choose to focus on the blessing that is here. How blessed I am, how grateful I am. My heart to know you, to have this opportunity, to have this, how can I? You should start focusing on the right. I'm thankful, I thank you. I thank you that I'm alive. I thank you that I have been blessed with people who who I have in my life, my friends, people who love me. I, I thank you for you and, and you've, what you've given for me. I thank you for a hope that goes beyond this life. I thank you, Lord, that you never leave me nor forsake me. I, I thank you that I'm part of a growing story. I'm on a great adventure with you. I got things to be open to that you want to do inside of me. I'm, I'm thankful. I choose to be thankful. And even, even in the tough places, I'm going to suggest there's a song that God has for us to sing. And, and you know what? I go back to this, and, and this is the last thing I'll say is, find the song that we were meant to sing and sing it. Sing it. Sometime, and you know what I'm convinced of? At the end of the day, it's a happy song because I know him, and I love him, and he loves me. And you know what? I'm going to focus right there. What is the song that God gave for us to sing? We have a unique song to sing at this time in our life. Even if it's a tough place, there's a song to sing. And oftentimes, it's when people hear the song. We find our voice in the midst of the trauma and the trouble, and all of a sudden, we find it, and it says, God is alive, and he's real, and he works in people's lives. And let his joy be our strength. I mean, this is is it. What a great thing to follow Jesus. What a, what a privilege. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for what you have done, who you are, and the example you gave us. And yeah, I am excited about you, Lord, because I, I, I know that you make a change in people's lives You you keep working in all of us, Lord. Some of us, we just need your joy to come to us like a gift. Others of us, Lord, we need to be singing our song. And I know, Lord, sometimes we think, oh, no one wants to, yeah, oh, well, no, we have a song to sing. When we sing it, may we sing it sometimes softly, sometimes at the top of our lungs, but we need to share a love that we have for you and share this joy that you've put into our heart. And Lord, if there are places that need to be rebroken, remade, where you want to sing through again, then go ahead and do it. So I just want to ask you to bless us, to stir us, to remind us, to call us up, I just wanna ask for you to bless and to propel that blessing to other people's lives. Teach us to be like you, happy people, contagious joy. So I pray for your blessing over our closing song It has everything to do with what we just shared, the joy of the Lord, a joyful song. In our time of giving, we seek to honor you to the best of our abilities. We do this for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.